so let's let's start with our first keynote session. Um, what the, what we want to talk about is the, the state of 5G. So where where has the 5G evolved to? We we were thinking first of doing that maybe something more like country style. Um, so going through a number of different countries that have introduced it. But I think for geopolitical reasons, maybe it's a little bit less difficult to do it uh, with a different angle. So that's why we are doing it now from a from a telco perspective. Um, more software perspective and then also a, a hardware perspective. I've also asked uh, Alejandro from Qualcomm to join the panel afterwards um, when we talk about the, the state of 5G. So it's, a, it's, it's an honor to introduce first LGU Plus to talk about 5G um, in South Korea. Um, you may have seen in the agenda that we had planned that uh, Sangmin Lee, the CTO, was going to speak at the conference today, but unfortunately he is ill. But we're very glad that uh, he was not traveling alone, but uh, had his team here. Um, so Changguk. My name is Changguk Choi. Uh, very nice to meet you all today. I am uh, VP of uh, 5G services at LGU Plus, which is a Korean telecom company. Uh, it is my great honor to share some of the LGU Plus and my experience in launching 5G services in Korea. Uh, today, I am going to provide you a brief overview of 5G services that is possible only with the introduction of 5G. Is there any click or something else? For, uh, LGU Plus and other telcos in Korea launched the world's first nationwide 5G service commercial services on April 3rd. Seven months after the launch, there are about 4.2 million of 5G subscribers in Korea now. This means 43% of all new mobile subscribers in Korea are choosing 5G during the same period. I can say it is far faster than our expectation. Currently, Korea is leading the global 5G market accounting for 78% of the world's 5G subscribers. And ARPU, ARPU is one of the most important KPI for telcos. In case of LGU+, 5G ARPU is 46% higher than LTE. It is a great opportunity to increase both sales and profit. As you know quite well, 5G is an excellent network. It is 10 times faster, 10 times less latency, and 10 times more device connections than LTE. I think service quality depends on cell edge data speed. LGU Plus guarantees 5 megabps at LTE cell edge and 100 megabps at 5G. So the actual speed difference that customers can feel is 20 times uh, faster. But you can enjoy uh, 180 uh, full HD quality video streaming service on your smartphone without any inconvenience through Fuji LTE network. Therefore, the fundamental question that we're faced for the success of 5G was, what new value can we provide with 5G? In order to deliver killer services using 5G network characteristics, which is high speed and low latency, we convert network characteristics to service categories. 
which are multi-channel, immersive media, and cloud. First, a multi-channel service that sends a bundle of multiple video channels at a time. Second, immersive media service that provides 3D experiences such as AR and VR. Finally, a cloud service. Thanks to the low latency in 5G, you can feel the cloud as if it is embedded in your device. Okay, let's see more in detail. Multi-channel service provides bundles of video streams generated by multiple cameras. Users can easily choose their favorite screen and what they want to watch at any moment. Therefore, we are able to provide the CD unseen service, which means users can enjoy a new concept of views instead of video generated by broadcasting companies. Let's take a look at this example of multi-channel baseball broadcasting service. Baseball. Multi-channel. Select and view play scenes of outfield and each base on demand. It is also possible to view scenes with broadcasting in one screen simultaneously. Enjoy the high resolution and vivid scenes even when the screen is enlarged. Closely observe the home basement by rotating the screen in different angles. Okay. Uh, with this multi-channel service, LGU Plus provides sports and entertainment broadcasting apps such as baseball, golf, and K-pop performance. Recently, we started multi-channel live broadcasting on online gaming. Is it okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, because uh, eSports is surprisingly second most popular broadcasting sport in Korea, not soccer or basketball. It is loved by a lot of more customers, especially teenagers in age of 20 men. So I believe that if possible sports or performances of each country are provided, multi-channel service is very successful. Uh, uh, next is AR and VR, a new way of seeing 3D immersive content. High quality 2D videos for smartphone needs two or three megabps, but 3D AR, VR content requires more than 30 megabps. It is beyond the minimum guaranteed speed of LTE, so it can be provided only in 5G. However, when we were preparing for the service, it was very difficult to find good quality 3D VR AR. So we decided to make high quality for the service. It was very, uh, it was very difficult to find good quality. Uh, uh, so we decided to make high quality 3D AR VR content at our studio by ourselves. Through this effort, LGU Plus customers are currently enjoying more than 1,000 pieces of high quality 3D content Respect, uh, respectively for AR and VR. But I don't think this is the only way to make sustainable growth of these services. I hope that the content will be generated through the ecosystem after many telcos join 5G consumer service. Let's take a look at AR service case. Enjoy the trip of your star dance with zoom-in and 360 degrees rotating functions. 
using the 3D Star sticker. Upload to your personal social network account and share with your friends. As you might already know, probably teasing me, I think. Uh, it is much more effective to deliver 3D AR VR content through a VR HMD or AR glasses than through a smartphone. I will tell you later about suitable devices for 5G services. I prepared for some demos and devices today. Uh, if you're interested in any of 5G services, please, I mean, you can find one table out of that gate. There, there we prepared several devices to show our service at the real, at real time. Last item is cloud. Even while smartphone is getting power, powerful more than more and more, there are almost unlimited computing power in the cloud. 5G low latency makes you feel the cloud as installed in your smartphone. Through 5G, smartphone can be a powerful game rig, 4K graphics editor, and whatever. We have partnered with NVIDIA, who is the leader of computer graphics, and launched the world's first 5G cloud game service, GeForce Now in Korea. Here is a video on cloud gaming. Experience the world's first 5G network-based cloud game with Uplus Cloud Game. There is no need to buy the expensive gaming PC or console. Just enjoy AAA games right away without downloading them. LG Uplus provides more than 100 best acclaimed PC games, along with previously purchased ones. At a single gaming platform, play the game on the go at any place with multiple devices, including 5G phone and PC. 5G will transform the trans, uh, traditional cloud service into mobile edge computing services. Tightly coupled with cloud infra with mobile network will guarantee faster, more effective, and more converged services than ever. These 5G unique services will drive the explosive growth of data traffic. For LGU Plus, an average 5G subscriber uses about 30 gigabytes per month, which is three times more than 4G and 20% more than our competitors' 5G traffic. What makes happy is that immersive content accounts for nearly 20% of this traffic. Along with network evolution, devices are also evolving to match the service. The multi-channel service is optimal for dual screen and foldable phone. Uh, you can find, I mean, those uh, dual screen and foldable phone out of the table after this session. AR VR can deliver the better 3D effects in AR glasses and VR HMD. However, the quality and price of AR glasses and VR HMD is not enough to be provided to general public yet. I think this is also a task for telcos preparing for 5G to work together. Another area of 5G service is B2B. I am sorry not to introduce B2B services of LGU Plus due to the limitation of time, but 5G is creating many new ways of work in all areas, such as connected car, factories, remote control, and school. Especially autonomous driving is one of major areas that telcos can contribute by combining mobile edge computing. 
CV to X HD dynamic net and image recognition technology. Sorry, sorry, sorry. autonomous driving 5G. Safer and more accurate driving experience. Autonomous car collects information and transmits data to surrounding cars. Once a preceding car detects accidents, it transmits to surrounding cars in real time through 5G network. Autonomous cars receive traffic data and updates its dynamic map. Cars around receive accident information and regenerate dynamic map instantly to make a detour for driver safety. Dynamic map with 5G network will safely take you to destination. Since last April, when we launched 5G services, many telcos have already visited us to experience our services. If our effort and experience can be of any help to telcos who are preparing 5G, I think it will be great. Uh, we will keep going to find and expand high-quality content and services for the success of 5G. Thank you. We, we move on to, to Chris, um, CTO of Red Hat. Um, I don't think I need to introduce him a lot. Um, I think you all know him. Um, I think after hearing two telco operators, but also hearing a question around AI, automation, software-defined networks, I think it will be great now to listen to you. And afterwards, of course, also Caroline, uh, what you have to tell us about the state of 5G. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Where did the clicker go? Is it up here? Yeah. All right. Good morning. Uh, so I don't have any videos. Uh, those are those were cool videos, and I can say I've actually been to a, a baseball stadium uh, where they do the multi-channel 4D immersive video content, and it's truly amazing. Uh, it really is impressive. So um, I also have a car that is self-driving. I wouldn't call it an autonomous vehicle, and it's really entertaining to see just exactly the types of choices it makes at points in time. So as much as I'm a technology enthusiast, uh, I also know we have a ways to go. Um, so what I wanted to do is talk to you about software. So we, we got a good hardware view. And my software focus or persuasion is really about open source software. Uh, so uh, I am the CTO for Red Hat. Red Hat is a company who builds all of our, our software products from open source uh, community projects. And it's a really powerful development model. Uh, the last slide said we can do more uh, together. Uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, so let me just jump in. My, my belief, my hypothesis is the innovation engine today for the industry is uh, in the software context is open source software communities. If you look at interesting projects, interesting technologies, where they're coming from, and the way they're developed, uh, they come from open source communities. They're developed in collaboration. At this point, we have such a rich base of technology that any single company can't pull together the, the critical mass of talented engineers to build the type of technologies that we can build collaboratively, collaboratively together across the industry. Uh, certainly powerful in, in things like machine learning uh, and a lot of the platform technologies, certainly if you go all the way 
back 25 years when, uh, or a little over 25 years when Linux was getting going. Today, Linux is a de facto standard across the industry. It's, I mean, it's in my, in my pocket. Uh, it's powering the world's largest supercomputers. You know, it's, it's absolutely everywhere. When you go to the network, um, what I believe is we're, we're in this process. This is not new. We're in this process of network transformation. Uh, the network transformation started with talking about NFV and SDN. Uh, you know, there's the, the SCISG white paper came out in October 2012, so seven years ago. And that was really talking about creating a, a virtualization platform to change how we build networks. What was interesting in that conversation is very quickly a open source story emerged. And the carriers are really looking for drawing from the same technology tools that web scale companies were already using to build next generation applications and businesses. So today, I'd say we are in this process of, do, of network transformation. 5G is a critical part of that. And open source is a foundational component for, uh, for that transformation. This is just sort of like everybody knows this, the, the, the current network standard uh, or even the legacy standard for network creation is very hardware centric. Uh, and in that hardware-centric model, you have to over-provision for peak capacity. Uh, you have pretty much a, a relatively static configuration because, well, rolling a truck and sticking new boxes into a, a data center is expensive. Uh, and so the way you react to the consumption of your network uh, is, you know, not, doesn't necessarily map how consumers are using the network. The tomorrow's network, or what I would even say is, Today's network that we're building right now, and it certainly is the future of, of the network, is what I would call software-centric. So this isn't to say hardware goes away. In fact, obviously, that's impossible. Um, but it's to say the focal point, where the innovation happens, the way you build and develop and manage the, 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 um, the network, is using software. Software is the differentiator. It's how you create that dynamic and elastic capability, which is going to respond to uh, the consumption of your of your network, and it generates this really dynamic environment that can uh, you know adjust. And you can, in using modern software development techniques and things like CI/CD pipelines, you could actually deliver functionality quickly into the network. So all the questions we had this morning uh, in both sessions, really about okay, 5G is super expensive. How are you going to monetize that? A part of that monetization process is generating new services, and new services are um, that. Today, the way the consumer expects a service to evolve is quickly. So it might start simple. You get, you, you, you know, you learn how to use it quickly, and as you're using it, it's evolving. That is driven from software changes. So um, this is just a, a busy slide to say there's a couple of key components for a 5G network. Number one, this, this, this is kind of my impression. Number one, we're trying to build something that I would call cloud native. So cloud native terminology is is not new. Uh, it's a common way to describe applications and to take advantage of the elastic capabilities and the ease of use of programming to uh, existing services and APIs that we see in the public clouds. That cloud native model is fundamental, I believe, for 5G networks. And that is about operational efficiency as well as that developer velocity that I described earlier and how you introduce new services. Certainly, a component of this 5G network is uh, multi-axis edge computing, mobile edge computing, MEC, the edge. Now, the edge is one of those buzzwords. I'm, I'm a CTO, so I live in buzzword land all the time. Um, the buzzword of edge is confusing because everybody has a different definition for edge, which I e easily rationalize by saying, well, 
the world's like an onion. Whatever layer you're in, the edge is sort of next to you. So that, that, which there's some truth to that. That's just a way to say your perspective colors how you define the edge. From a service provider point of view, there's the edge of the network. Uh, from an enterprise point of view, there might be the edge that's connected to a set of devices within your factory floor or something like that. Um, what's interesting to me about this cloud-native platform for developing a 5G network and edge computing is there's real power in using the same building blocks to create that uh, both of those in environments, network functions, running as applications, really software applications, as well as uh, consumer and enterprise-facing applications running in edge compute nodes. All of this is going to require that kind of uh, lifecycle management and application-centric view of the world, which is common today in web-scale companies, less common in the service providers' networks, and that's, the, that's one of the big transformations. I will admit readily, as a technologist, I'm a little sad to say a transformation requires three key components. Technology is actually the least interesting one. It's the people and process part that's really difficult. And this gets right at the heart of that, that application lifecycle management mindset. Uh, a way to deliver rapidly into a network isn't the norm for network operators. You have architects that build and engineer a network. You have operators that run that network. They are really used to, there's a lot of regulatory compliance. They're risk averse. They're used to really minimizing change and not looking at how you can move quickly. So this is a very different model, and it, it definitely takes time, and it's, it's, it's non-trivial to, to shift people's mindsets and their skills and the processes associated with change inside, your, uh, inside the network. The center is just saying, by the way, all of this, this cloud-native world, can't ignore a bunch of fundamentals that are required for the, for the network. Serviceability, reliability, visibility, you know, all of the illities, those things don't go away just because we call it cloud native. So we have to have the right level of instrumentation and visibility for the operators to be confident that they're running a network that's going to comply with the SLA that they're really required to, uh, to comply with. We saw this already this morning, but this is just a different way to say that there is a metric ton of data that is being produced and consumed. Uh, increasing number of devices, there's all of the sort of analyst numbers projecting bajillions of devices in the real near future. Those devices are creating and consuming data. And the, the way that we manage and draw value out of that data is, a, is from compute. And the difficulties of backhauling all of this data, it really doesn't even make sense. You, and certainly uh, the combination of high-density connectivity, uh, low latency, and high bandwidth just suggests that bringing compute closer to those devices is the right thing to do. What's interesting to me in this is also um, intelligence is a critical part. So data by itself is like useful. Um, data processed, deriving value and insights and intelligence from that data is what's really driving a lot of the, the real potential for value here. And what that means is you'll have uh, some hardware requirements to ensure that you have the right efficient processing environment to do things like deploy a machine learning model out, out to the edge. Uh, so something that, that we announced recently with, with NVIDIA is support for their EGX platform with GPUs so that you can use those GPUs both in the radio access network itself as well as uh, part of some supporting some of the applications you saw earlier around gaming or uh, autonomous vehicles or that kind of thing. So this sort of combination of data, devices, edge compute, new computing models really generates, I think, some of the possibility for for uh, forms of revenue in the 5G network. And again, 
these things are, are coming from open source communities. So who's heard of Linux? Yeah? Just checking if you're awake. Um, so the Linux story is really one of commoditization. So we had this thing, and we still do, called Unix. Unix is uh, a commercial of a variety of commercial products. It tended to be vertically integrated with the hardware. So the Linux story was about commoditization of the software stack associated with that uh, hardware plus software uh, stack and disaggregating from the hardware so that you had choice in the hardware layer, which really drove margins down and changed the whole cost picture. So this is a commoditization play. What's interesting to me about open source today is, well, commoditization still exists, and it's an important part of how we drive costs out of infrastructure. But there's also a shift in the industry, as I mentioned earlier, to innovation and all of the uh, interesting technologies that are coming out of open source communities are shifting this conversation from pure commoditization into innovation. We're doing things that haven't been done before. Uh, and I think some of those things are happening in the network, which is, which is why I'm bringing it up here. Now, you couldn't talk about networks without standards. Um, and standards have a really critical role that they play in the industry. One of the interesting things about standards is they're really slow and they can create sort of weird incentives for vendors to argue out their market position. And open source is kind of focusing on the technology and evolving the technology across the industry. Open source does implement a whole set of standardized protocols. And, and you know, so it's not as if these two worlds live completely separate from one another. But there's an interesting kind of de facto standardization that happens in open source that I think is important when you look at uh, how we can help standards themselves evolve. Uh, we look at moving quickly and, and generating best practices rather than formulating up front a whole complicated specification that may or may not in a software world even make sense when you go to develop it. Uh, and so you know, certainly if you've been involved in the NFEISG, there's some architectural diagrams, there's some software specifications, and there are people who would say, well, this thing is not implementable. Uh, and so it's kind of, I, I think of it as uh, an attempt to describe what we're doing, not necessarily codify exactly what we're doing. And in this world, I think the developers across the industry are doing really interesting things. And if you focus on a deeply standardized world and implementations that are bespoke to those standards, you're missing out on a whole set of changes and innovations that are happening across other industries. So the reason I put this up here is to draw your attention to the fact that part of that cloud native story for the 5G network is drawing on experiences from other industries. And this is where I think we get real velocity and power on the network side, which is to say we're not entirely living in a 3GPP world and focused only on standards to evolve. Again, critical, but there's another world that's also happening in parallel, and we need to draw on the innovation that's happening in that world across these other industries and bring that into the network. And that some, you know, some of this is the cloud-native platforms and the, the mindsets for DevOps and all these kind of things. So in the end, what we're trying to do is create this platform and disaggregate hardware from software uh, in, in a network. So this is really a way to drive costs out of the network and bring agility and flexibility and, and velocity speed into the network. Who's heard of Kubernetes? All right, this is awesome. And containers. So uh, in here, I, I will argue that the, the notion, uh, the, the definition of 5G is more service-oriented than 4G. 
uh, cups as a, as a portion of this, creating a standard that's more friendly to an architecture that's software-oriented is, is one of the great side effects of the standardization process of 5G. Uh, and in here, that separation uh, is a great example of how you can build these services, which in a web-scale world we'd call microservices, and we'd need a platform that does application lifecycle management like Kubernetes to kind of build up this whole, this whole infrastructure. Uh, so what I'm showing here is just the connection between uh, some of the things that are coming from the telco side and some of the development activities that are happening in communities like the Kubernetes community and broader. This is a busy slide to just show um, visually a way to build out a network with a common platform and a common management plane. So it's a very different view. This is a horizontal platform with a variety of applications onboarded and a consistent way to view and manage those applications and ultimately the network. So you see the network infrastructure uh, on the left. You see kind of a data view in the middle, which is where you're doing things like data analytics and uh, potentially closed-loop remediation of managing your network. And then at the far right, that's an application tier, which is where you see uh, mobile edge computing and an interesting a series of applications loaded really onto the same kind of platforms here. So the, the, the beauty of this is you can really create operational efficiency by having a common platform. And it's, it's how the clouds work, by the way. There aren't, Amazon isn't thousands and thousands of random bespoke specific clouds for specific applications. It's one big cloud with a bunch of applications on it and different ways to manifest resources. But, you know, ultimately conceptually it's one big cloud. And this is just a view of the way, the, the way that we are evolving the rollout of these networks, so 5G clearly brand new, um, the way that we're evolving that, starting from that NFB concept, starts with virtualization. So we have a virtualization platform. Uh, we're starting to see the first phases of containerization. Uh, and containerization is typically more associated with the microservices world. So you're breaking things down, decomposing them into smaller pieces. Uh, more automation around how you manage the relationships between those pieces and independently scale those pieces. And it's still, it really uh, sounds cheesy, but it's a journey. Like we're, we're going there, we're not there today, and it requires the entire industry to move together. Uh, and in there, there's some challenges around onboarding and definitions, descriptors, what, is the, what does the network function look like? What does the network service look like? And we're, we're really defining those in some cases within open source communities. Uh, just a view to kind of show uh, how this can come together, inclusive of cloud services. So we've done some demos where we show networks running in part inclusive of uh, a component of the network running in a public cloud. The VCO piece here on the left is uh, a virtualized central office. Some call it central office re-architect re as a data center. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, the, the red boxes are just to say Red Hat does this stuff, but I'm not here to pitch on pitch our products as much as just give you some a vision of what I think is important around open source and building these open platforms. So that VCO is um, something that we just demoed. KubeCon is the and the well annual, depending on your geography, uh, conference associated with Kubernetes. Uh, just yesterday, or maybe I've lost track of time, and it was the day before, but I think it was just yesterday we demoed on stage. Uh, a 5G phone call with a, a Kubernetes platform, containerized network functions, a whole set of open source software in there. I mean, there's, there's projects like ORAN and Open Air Interface, like really changing how we're building the infrastructure. 
Uh, and my point here is this isn't just a dream. This is real and it's happening. And, you know, we're, we are working, we Red Hat are working with carriers doing, uh, you know, early phases of lab trials and, you know, the 5G is still rolling out across the world. But this is an example of a, of a completely containerized uh, end-to-end core, core to radio uh, uh, 5G platform taking a phone call or uh, running a phone call through it. So I thought that was really cool. And I'll end here, which is to say my plea to the service provider community, the telecommunications community, is don't ignore what's happening in the rest of the world. I've given a presentation before uh, at, where I say to a collection, said to a collection of service providers, you are not special. Uh, now, they didn't believe me, and I actually had my kids come up on stage and tell them that because I was too afraid to. Uh, and at the end, I had so many people come up to me and say, that is, you're absolutely right. We're not special. Oh, let me tell you why I'm special, but everybody else isn't. Uh, and it was definitely on the radio side. But So the point is, there is a lot of work happening to understand how you build, scale, and develop these broad applications that aren't identical to network applications, but they share a lot of similar properties. And if we create solutions that are focused so deeply on one market vertical, we miss out on all of that other work. And so in here we have, you know, tools like Kubernetes and uh, automation that is happening elsewhere. So my plea is let's make sure we work together to capture this and bring it into the network. Thank you. Um, so, so it's great to see um, all this software and more software and even more software because I always think we'll need like a truckload of chips to, to run that. And, uh, and that's going to be a very good introduction to our next speaker. But before we do that, um, I'd like to, to treat you with something you've probably never heard before, uh, which is like a safe harbor statement with a very thick French accent. Um, so today's presentation contains forward-looking statements. All statements made that are not historical facts are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties, and actually results may differ materially. Please refer to each of the participant companies' most recent respective earnings releases, 10Qs and 10Ks, for more information on the risk factors that could cause actual results to differ from those expressed or implied in the forward-looking statements in each company's presentation. And with that, it's my great pleasure to introduce uh, Caroline Chan from Intel. So Caroline is the general manager uh, of the network business incubator at Intel. Uh, many of you know that uh, networking has been a growing part of, uh, of Intel's uh, story in recent years. Um, so it's really great to have you today, and thank you. Thank you. It just goes on to prove that anything sounds better speaking with a French accent. Now, now you're going to get treated for 20 minutes of uh, someone from uh, with Chinese asset. How, how about that? Straight from you from uh, Nanjing, China. So I'm going to go ahead and start doing this about uh, megatrends. We, I've been in the wireless industry for a long time. Uh, like Fred mentioned, I think he started, he said started with 1G, I started with 2G. Every generation of wireless is plus one. Okay, higher throughput, bigger capacity. But has been very telco Focus. I actually like what Chris said. 
maybe telco is not that special. We like to think it was special. I had an RF engineering degree from DBET University, University of Texas in Austin, Hogan Horns. I, I always thought we are special. But look at what's happening in LTE. It proves that we're not that special, right? Just look at the, the stock price of a telco versus the uh, hyperscalers. It really just diverged. We became the pipe that carry everything through. 5G is different. We, at least the industry, is really pushing that it should be different. The difference is you have three factors that's happening here. You have this proliferation of cloud computing that's been happening, right? And you have this classification of network and edge, which I'll talk a little bit more about, because that's based, I've been in Intel 10 years, that's 10 years of blood and sweat that's working on that. In the middle is AI. So I, I could not let Frank get off the stage without asking about AI. AI is really driving this. I was in China a month ago in the largest um, launch of a 5G network, all three plus one operator they're launching. The, after they said, great, it's launched, the next presentation is all about AI. There's the manufacturer 2025 mandate from the government. It is about AI. Let's not miss that point. We got to make sure the 5G network and the edge and everything we talk about will be part of the AI story. Otherwise, we'll miss the boat. So I, as I mentioned, all these things started with a network transformation journey that we've been on. Chris mentioned that paper. I think I dispute that. I think it's 2011 when that NFV paper started out because Intel was one of the co-founders on, on that white paper. And he started to lay the ground and say that for the network to be truly be monetizable and be built at a very cost-effective manner and enlarge the ecosystem, because I used to work for a company that no longer exists called Nortel Networks. That's a lesson learned. When you are in a very focused, appliance-driven industry, you will not have the kind of innovation that's happening in the rest of the industry, back to what Chris said. We ain't that special. To do that, we have to drive this network transformation. So together with many operators, we started the journey. And you look at that, well, today we are seeing it. We've seen it in the revenue later on. We have a, a slide talk about what we see in the revenue, which is why the uh, safe harbor statements are needed. It's happening starting from the edge to the core. It started in the core. Majority of the core, but I, we have a case where we're showing you a cloud native, completely 100% cloud native LTE upgradable to 5G network. It's not being launched in Japan. And uh, Red Hat is one of the partners together that enabled that to happen. And also later on, that Thierry is here, that he will talk more about it. But if you look at this, there's three principles that you're driving network transformation. Number one, workload convergence, meaning that you take the four layers in the OSI layer, the signaling, data plane, control plane, and the um, application, all of that consolidated onto a, a platform. In our case, Intel platform. What that does is you preserve, you're really driving the scale of a, a CPU scale. More, making more, it will cost less. And also prefer, preserve the software transferability from generation CPU to another generation CPU. That's another TCO savings there. 
And not later on, we talk a little bit about you know the OPEX saving you see from that. The second thing is network function virtualization or NFV. You desegregated the hardware and the software. Why? That's how the cloud guys do it. You see the success. We want to be on that success path. We don't want to be living in that path in the previous generation. We want to be with the new generation. And you see that the classification of the network, which now put us in a very good foundation to be AI player, strong AI player. I was so happy to hear what, what Fred has said. The last one is very important, is ecosystem building. We no longer just say everything. We do everything, we are it. If you look at all the new networks launching, I think Fred was a good example talking about it, it's about partnership. And Intel does this day in and day out. That's our thing, build an ecosystem together. We, do, we did that with the PC, we're doing that with the, uh, the, the data center, we're doing that today with the network. 5G network transformations is, have been happening. LTE, SD-WAN, even Wi-Fi. 5G, however, really accelerated the network transformation. For the first time, I would say, in my lifetime working on the wireless industry, 5G is really IT and telco together. When that happens, what the natural thing to do is you start mimicking what looks really like in the IT center. The CIO started making decisions, buying decisions. I'm spending a lot of time not just talking with the Verizon and AT&T, I'm also talking with a lot of the enterprise decision makers. So in that case, you start seeing I don't want my network to look like a network. I really want my network to look like what I have in the IT data center. So what happens now, you have 2G, which is really a more of a cellular phone call, can you hear me now kind of thing. 3G, start introducing data. 4G, again, you know what happens. A lot of mobile shopping happens. But 5G is really the first time you have this ultra-reliable and low-latency, or URLLC. And in addition to enhanced mobile broadband, as well as the massive machine-to-machine communication. All of that things, especially around the greater capacity and lower latency, really started driving a network to serve not just single-purpose, consumer-driven, but started driving multi-purpose enterprise, B2B, B2C, what LGU Plus just mentioned right now. The other thing that we're really seeing is network and edge computing started accelerated by 5G. To be frank, this has, hap- has been happening also with LTE, but 5G really accelerated that. In fact, we recently just announced a reorganization within Intel to put all of that under the same roof because we see things that Thompson is driving, things that IoT, things that AI and network and cloud are really coming together. These togetherness really means that the addressable market is a much larger, $65 billion addressable market for, for, for us, for Intel. So you, when you look at this, it's no longer just a very segregated, here's the core, here's the assets, the data center. In reality, it's a one large spectrum of opportunities. And these opportunities, instead of siloing, because of the fact that they started working together, really started driving a much higher usage, a lot more innovation, 
We saw that quite a bit from Frank's discussion, from LGU Plus discussion. In China, when they looked at this, when the president of China talked about this, he talked about 5G in terms of industrial uplifting. He talked about 5G in terms of blockchain, in terms of food safety. Sure, people still talk about 5G in terms of smartphones and devices, but the additive of that is what drives this additional market. I used to be just single focus when I go to China, I talk to China Mobile, China Unicom, China Telecom. Now I'm talking with the steelmakers. I'm talking with people that owns and runs their venues, talking with Mandarin Oriental Hotel chain. It is that type of wider usage of 5G drives the expanded market for everybody in the ecosystem. And that is something that I really don't want to get on the stage without making that impression on you. Really look at the network as a cloud with connectivity. Therefore, things that you're doing today in the cloud need that with the latency, you can, you should do that on the network edge. I actually like to call it a network edge cloud. I think it's very appropriate. Because otherwise, we are not in the special cloud. With this, Chris, I say that we are special. We are better. We have a cloud. We have a cloud native network. We have all the, the TCO, yet we have connectivity. And, and recently, there was introduction of a CPRS. Generate tons of interest. Not that far from here um, in the Netherlands, there's the American Dream, the, the largest entertainment and retail complex. I was reminded by the CIO, don't call us a mall. We are not a mall. It's an entertainment retail complex that they will launch a private network on CBRS. Think about it. It's a private network, not for the people that come in to shop, but for their operation, for the shops, for the, uh, to, to collect information about football, to collect intelligence, apply AI and machine learning outcome to it. Think about what that brings to all of us in this room. The additives of that element is going to be so amazing. It was launched in October 27th, I think. There was a very lengthy article on Wall Street Journal. I strongly encourage you to read it. We are part of that partnership. We, we are uh, uh, powering the, the private network gears in there. But it's amazing. When I think about it, when I looked at it, what we have today in that network is will pale compared to what will be running on that network, what does that bring to all of us, Intel included? So what is our technology for network and, and edge? I promise this is not gonna be ad advertisement, but I just want to simply share with you, when you really talk about a network and edge, it's more than just CPU. It's a lot of software component. There is this FPGA, there is a memory, and we actually just announced a Snow Ridge, which is a a CPU with the right accelerator really targeting 5G base stations. We've already announced two major telco equipment providers adopting Snow Ridge. You'll hear more about it in Mobile World Congress. But this is the thing that when it is so important to Intel that we are taking it into account what 5G and build that accelerator into our SOC based on Xeon and Xeon D. And if you look at this, the entire portfolio really spans from the data center, the cloud, all the way down to the IoT edge. 
What I said is that software portability in this horizontal spectrum is unprecedented. And that's what people look for. 5G is not going to be cheap to build. Let's face it. The, what we can do to help minimize the cost of it is very important. That's, that's the bottom line. We, you know, keep the cost down. And the other side is drive the monetization of it. So what have we done with our partners to bring 5G to life together? Uh, it's a very busy chart. In fact, I would probably uplift a little bit and say, if you remember what Frank talked about, partnership, if you talk, and Chris talked about standard, look at what's left on the left-hand side. When I was doing in Norta, all we care about is 3GPP, nothing else. Maybe you take a little bit of IEEE, a little bit. But look at what's happening on the left. What's in 5G? 5G AA for autonomous driving. We have an edge compute just for cars. We have all of these vertically driven, something called 5G ACIA, which is for automation in the factories. There are so many vertical consortiums that are popping up to take advantage of 5G, but they all looked at it from a vertical point of view, not just from a 3GPP point of view. To me, it's an extremely healthy thing that's happening. Means that the verticals, the people that we have not been able to approach other than giving them connectivity is saying, I want 5G, but I want 5G to help my business operation. Therefore, I'm forming a consortium to drive the key stakeholders in this. Uh, last I heard that some, there's a drone operator really looking at doing this for the consortium basis. This is probably deep music to our ears. It should be music to your ears, Chris, because what this really does is it started driving a ton more use cases. Not just use cases, we sit in the room and thinking, well, I wonder what the 5G killer app is. It is the people that actually runs the factories, runs the entertainment business, runs the shipyards, coming in and say, I want this. And we will work with them to accommodate us. Collaboration is probably the word that we, you over, we use again and again. I always find myself overuse it, but you cannot actually go without saying it. And we, at the same time, we have to accelerate to the market. We can't just say, the, you know, giving you a bag of chip, chips and parts. We actually forming select solutions, the like NFVI, uh, UCP, is really to help the ODM community to know this is the recipe. Take this recipe, you can modify it, but starting with a recipe instead of a lot of ingredients. And this is what we have been doing together. I talked a bit about the 5G end-to-end, given that they, a lot of speakers talk about it, I, I will go light on it. But if you look at the pictures on the right, it's all the things that we're currently engaging with all of our partners in each and every one of these. And I would say that 5G is not just about technology transformation, largely it's about business transformation. And that is the very key point. Our mentality in the telco is changing and have to change. So we, we talk a little bit more about uh, the NFV journey, and I, want, I do want to give credit to everybody here. And we have in the partnership running something called Rakuten, which is an e-commerce provider in Japan. They're launching a network. LTE network is being launched in Tokyo, Osaka, and Yokohama. I may have missed a couple of cities, but 
5G will be launched next year. 100% cloud native. Red Hat is part of the partners. L2 Star is part of the partners. It's everything that we ever wanted. You might say, oh, that's a unicorn because, well, you know what? That's a uh, Greenfield. Last week in TIP Summit, TIP stands for Telco Infrastructure Project. I am on the board of, uh, of TIP on behalf of Intel. Vodafone was on stage. Vodafone is a well-established operator announcing they will put all of their European footprint, the upgrades, onto a virtualized red. That's huge. That's not a unicorn case. That's everybody can do case. Every single one of the expansion in the European market will be putting the RFQ for virtualized REST. What does that mean is that we are, NFV is finally grown up. We're no longer the kids. So this is the part that I've talked about share with you what Intel's doing. Uh, many of you may wonder, what is Caroline doing here? We are actually the number one market share in networking silicon. I'm very, very proud to say that. Been here for 10 years. When we came in, we weren't, we were on that journey. We were not quite there. We are looking, we have been experiencing double digit growth, 40% CAGR year after year in a networking side on the silicon and enabling software. We expect to be about 5 billion in 2019. Again, safe harbor rule applied. And we are doing, we have both organic and inorganic growth to really drive us into the last frontier. For us, it's always been the base station. Very latency sensitive base station business. We do expect on track to have a MSS greater than 40% by 2022. So rich is a big part of it. A lot of ZR, a lot of Atom, a lot of SOCs and memories being sold into that space. We, be focused, we will go forward focusing on driving a cloud-based platform will be driving a wide portfolio of products for 5G and Edge. And we never forget the fact that there will be AI required. In summary, the last 10 seconds of my time, 5G is not just about connectivity. I think everybody here probably already agreed. And the network infrastructure market is absolutely transforming. The operators, Verizon included, in fact, Verizon was one of the first that announced they would uh, pilot uh, VRAN. It's really looking to benefit from the, the cloud economics in 5G. Put them in the equal playing field as a hyperscalers. Edge compute is really important. You, I will even go far saying that 5G will not be successful until we successfully figure out how to monetize edge compute. Lastly, my employer, Intel, has a very rich portfolio to fill the 5G growth. We look forward to work with every one of you. Thank you very much. So before we start with the panel, let me just also quickly introduce Alex, um, who hasn't spoken yet, but uh, you will hear him speaking in the afternoon um, on next-gen architecture. So Alex uh, and, uh, like, and uh, DCG, we also have uh, met a few times. We're working also on the, um, a number of topics like millimeter waves to better understand from each other um, how we can accelerate 5G. And I think that's exactly also what uh, Alejandro's uh, mission is with uh, the power, I think, of 1,300 engineers um, to, to accelerate um, 5G or 
Qualcomm technology. So this is the, the addition you will hear him speak afterwards as well. So maybe just to uh, break the ice and get the conversation started, um, I thought I would ask you um, just to highlight uh, the single thing in 5G, the single feature aspect uh, of 5G that you, you find the most exciting and also where you think your company is going to contribute the most. And maybe Chris, if you want to start. The one thing, uh, well, okay. If I had to say one thing, I'll cheat by saying it's the properties of 5G. That's cheating. <laughs> the three, the, the trifecta of dense connectivity, low latency, high bandwidth. But, but that creates a, a unique uh, network, uh, network property. Uh, so I think that is what's fundamentally interesting. And uh, the, you know, clearly what we're doing is bringing an open source uh, derived platform to help evolve that infrastructure uh, to support not just the network itself, but the edge use cases that, that we've been talking about, which I think are critical. So yeah, that makes sense. Thanks, Chris. Caroline? Um, for me, if I had to pick one, which you asked me to pick my favorite child, it will be the complication of the network and edge. I think without the journey that we have been on, and that we, uh, 5G will, be, will look very different. Uh, I wouldn't even dare to say that. That would not look different. Had we not have invested blood and sweat with you, with everyone here, into driving a much softer, desegregated 5G network. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sounds good. Yes, uh, as a telco, we think uh, the 5G will drive the uh, new experience of enjoying media, I, I would like to say. Because as to LTE, you know, uh, the 3G and LTE, LTE people uh, start to use more data and they start to uh, enjoy more videos and other, you know, uh, medias much more than 3G. But from 5G, we think uh, it will, from PTC point, we think uh, 5G will change the way of how to enjoy the media. Like uh, I said, the AR, VR will, will be one of the examples. And uh, probably, uh, probably with new technologies, we, we can provide more different ways of enjoying new media uh, Content with 5G, I think. Thank you. It's very difficult. <clears throat> very difficult, I think, to say. Can I pick multiple ones, or I have to stick with? It. <laughs> Chris didn't do so bad. So he took three, maybe twelve. Um, you know, five even ago. So many things. You know, I mean, we talk about um, compute, um, but we, we really have to think there is uh, a lot of evolution on the front end, on uh, uh, power amplifiers, filters, you know, antenna modules, millimeter waves. Um, more of them. So there's just so many things that come together on 5G. But if I have to pick one, I guess it would be the framework that it provides the industry, especially industrial players, not outside enhanced mobile broadband, outside consumers. It's just a whole framework that we haven't even touched that is uh, for um, the Internet of Things that people have talked about. I think that framework, I'm pretty excited about that. Thanks, Eric. So we, we are now something like six months after the launch of 5G, uh, South Korea, um, the, the, the first one to, to, to launch. Um, and if, if you look back 
um, maybe like 12 months or so. Um, where, where do you see 5G today and, and how does that compare to your expectation? Actually, if I think back to one year ago, it was really a hard job for us to persuade our customers uh, what is different from LTE when you use 5G. Uh, besides, of, you know, uh, the 5G device is much more expensive than LTE devices, so we have to find the reason why you have to buy uh, more expensive more expensive devices with uh, 5G. So uh, that's why we uh, started thinking of a new way of enjoying media, so like you know, AOVL content. So uh, uh, we have investi investigated a lot, I mean, to uh, providing them a new uh, experience. So after six months after launching 5G, uh, we think the result is beyond our expectation. For example, uh, during the last five, last six months, our uh, 5G subscribers exceed 1 million. So uh, most of our 5G subscribers are using our new 5G services now. So we are, we think it is just an uh, initial step, but we think we are successful for that. So for you, it is uh, quite a surprise how quickly customers are adopting 5G. Yes. Yeah. So I'll come back to that later, but let's uh, continue with uh, the others. Um, not following uh, any order here, Caroline, maybe. Um, what, what I have seen initially, we were hoping that 5G is going to be more than enhanced mobile broadband. It will always launch with enhanced mobile broadband because that's the easiest thing to do. Uh, I'm highly encouraged when I go, uh, especially to Asia. Uh, I was in Singapore not long ago, and Sintel was talking about they have to transform their own workforce in order to take advantage of 5G. So 5G started driving not just technology transformation that we all talked about, really started driving a lot of business transformation, bringing new blood to look at how to leverage the 5G, the monetization aspect of it. How do, for example, they're doing a huge project in, in Singapore right now to modernize the, the port management. 5G comes into play. It used to be not more of an IT transformation. Now it's like, well, now I have connectivity. Now I have this cloud, uh, edge cloud concept. How do I merge that together? So it's, to me, it's surprising how fast people grasp the idea that 5G really is going to be about digital transformation that comes with both business and technology. It actually starts the ecosystem of 5G, I would say, much, much richer than what we had in all previous generation that we have seen together. And the embracement of open sourcing, open source software, is another aspect that I was very pleasantly surprised to see. So I'll, I'll say 12 months ago, or even even a little longer, see, 24 months ago, uh, I was having conversations with many carriers, you know, especially 24 months ago, uh, specifically in Europe, who were like, I actually don't buy it. I don't think I can invest in the spectrum and make this work. It just doesn't make sense. At the same time, it was clear that it was going to roll out quickly in Korea um, and clear that there were some other geographies that were going to be pretty aggressive. 
So when you come to 12 months ago, um, the my expectations were roughly in line with what's happening in terms of the service provider rollout. What surprised me is number one, how quickly Europe changed. Um, number two, the I don't know the right term, I want to call it deregulation, but the, the availability of spectrum to enterprise, uh, changing the way the enterprise can use 5G within their campus, fundamentally. So like the, the initial expectation was service providers are going to provide the 5G service to enterprises. And in some geographies, the local governments have allowed local licenses for uh, spectrum use on premises that it means an enterprise can go deploy their own 5G network. And I think what's surprising me is that's actually um, likely to happen because I think the service providers will take some time to, to be built out enough and the enterprises are trying to move pretty quickly. Uh, so that was the piece that, that actually surprised me, kind of this, this business world of, uh, you know, in Japan they call it local 5G, I forget the name in, in Germany, but, you know, kind of not deregulation but re reuse of spectrum and, and yeah, if I if I may just add on that. In fact last week at the TIP summit we had uh, Ofcom, the UK regulator came on and they, he actually talked about that fact that in UK they are making putting together legislation to allow that local 5G concept for enterprise. Probably is triggered by Brexit, but they they see this as the economic factor to make abundant Enterprise targeted spectrum available. I, I think that's you, you spot on. That is to me a very fascinating factor. We thought that's going to be a long battle to get that happen, but you had Germany, you had Sweden, Japan talking about it. Lo and behold, even China started talking about it. I need the Chinese media. The rumor is coming out that the government will make that available. That part to me is such an X factor. When we talk about the total addressable market for 5G, that is an X factor we have not taken into account. Yeah. Chris Caroline, do you think these um, industrial um, use cases of 5G and private use cases of 5G that have always talked of as like the second wave of 5G might actually end up becoming the first wave, part of the first wave, or actually the first wave, like at the same time as operators? Yeah, that's, now? that's exactly what I'm starting to see, which yeah. it's just not what I expected. I really thought it would be a second wave, and I, you know, the enterprise, I felt, would lag the consumer. Um, but in this case, I think nope. It's, nope. it's really... Not at all. Enterprises are aggressive. They've got real business imperatives that they're trying to... You, you had uh, Bosch came on one of the 5G seminar last year, I believe, in, in Brooklyn, New York. He got on the stage and said, I am going to have 5G in my factory. And then he actually went off and showed a very detailed workflow walkthrough of how 5G will help them. I was sitting in the audience, I was just amazed that he's sharing all of that. And he said, I'm sharing what I normally consider trade secret because I want you guys to work on this. And then he went on and challenged everyone in operator in that audience who say that, when you want to sell me 5G, don't think of it as a just a reliability. There's a liability involved in it. That's the reason why I need to be in control. When a connectivity breaks down, it there could be it's a production issue for them, right? When you hand over control like that. So it's a reliability and liability. So I really I like like Chris, we're expecting that to happen in Tel but it's happening much faster. 
much faster than what we have seen. And people are jumping in, like 5G ACIA, 5G AA. They jump in to start pulling together their own spec based on 5G for their vertical. It's just totally not seen before. Before we just rely on IEEE, eventually come along and do this. No, they're taking control. They are, they are at the help, the vertical at the help of sort of thing. I want to, I want to deep dive on what you said later. Uh, Caroline and Chris, but uh, first I would like to, to, to close the loop and also ask Alex what, uh, what he thinks. You know, I think for me, <clears throat> along the lines, um, what Chris and Caroline are saying, uh, you know, when it was 2018 and I was putting my budget together for 2019 and think, okay, what's going to happen in 2019 with the 5G deployment? I went back and looked at 4G. Okay, what happened in 4G? And during the first year, we had, I think, four or five operators launching 5G and there were two or three OEMs launching 5G. And I had to quickly adapt because right now, in the first year of 5G, we have more than 40 operators that have already launched 5G worldwide. And that was really a surprise. And we, there's close to 250 OEMs that have announced products for 5G. So um, my team works with a lot of operators worldwide, so I had to adapt very quickly. To, to the demand that, you know, how we're going to try to help all these operators launch 5G worldwide. Um, and next year, of course, there's going to be hundreds of operators. So I think the speed at which 5G has launched worldwide, that was uh, um, really an adaptation. And I have to agree also the number of industries that are coming, uh, asking questions about 5G and saying, I want 5G. So that has really been a, a pleasant surprise. So the mission about accelerating 5G has worked so far from your perspective? Yeah, I don't, uh, yes, uh, I need to uh, let go of the gas pedal because it's going to uh, happen. So that's good. Now, let's, let's just quickly go back to you, Chris and, and Caroline. Um, you also mentioned that that virtualization um, cloud has, has also arrived at the more traditional telcos like Vodafone, et cetera, right? So it is something that is that is happening now. Now, when I listen to you, I, I, I also get the impression that maybe the speed of that happening on the enterprise side is faster than on the consumer side. Can you comment on that? Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Sure, no, go ahead. Um, absolutely. And uh, I'll give you an example that we announced recently in China. We announced a partnership with Tencent is a, uh, a OTT, as you know, to jointly develop 5G and AI together. Now, the premise of this is that uh, China has asked these OTTs to invest in telco to help accelerate and share the burden of uh, building up 5G. When they looked at it, said, I want to put AI to this and I bring this into the enterprise. Again, a lot of government mandate. If I'm going to bring them appliances without all of the softness of this, that the platform, the virtualization provides, it will be a much longer journey. Instead, from, the, from when we started talking about it to now giving to a, a project, Kickstart, including enterprises identified, is tremendous. It's much faster. And if you remember the slide that I show or Rakuten doing this cloud native network, it's one year. Think about how long you've taken us to build this in the previous life, because that's what my life used to be, doing infrastructure build. Uh, is the speed is so tremendous. And, and part of the reason is, you, by doing this, you are limiting the skews, the varieties of hardware that you need to deploy in the network. 
it really diminished in, in rubber-tested is four skews. The first economy is much better. Second is the operational aspect of it. The deployment aspect is greatly simplified. So I really do think that enterprise looked at this and from their purview, which is I am an IT shop, the typically we CIO have a say in this, it's much more applicable to them, much more, uh, top, you know, top, the risk is much lower for them in order to deploy a black box that they can't see and operate versus this is something that looks like extension of their enterprise cloud into, into their uh, full shop on-prem with the connectivity. I think, to me, when I'm talking with them, that's really, they took it for granted. I mean, if I'm going to go, well, you can't do that, you got to get this as a prize box, I'm going to get pushed back. What I, so I think there's one important aspect that's specific to the enterprise, and that is the use cases, uh, I, I mean, Carolyn already really described that kind of vertically focused use case and how that's kind of proliferating. We've done a lot of studies and we see, you know, it's, it's just straight per vertical. There's a handful of use cases that are critical to each of these verticals. So that means when you get to a business, an enterprise business, um, they have a focused use case, which isn't a general purpose network. So the ability to roll that out relatively quickly, I think, is part of it. Um, and then on the flip side, on the carrier side, uh, the, the way I describe it is NFC and SDN, which were the buzzwords, whatever, five, ten years ago almost, um, those are prerequisite for 5G. Uh, but if you look at the average carrier network, it's still not fully virtualized. So it's a big project to go through and, and refresh and retool and refactor a network. Uh, so, you know, there's a couple examples where players like Rakuten have started uh, more greenfield and been able to go cloud native end to end. Uh, so there's this kind of, how do you make it, how do you actually do this full, this full rollout? And then you're building something that's more general purpose. Arguably, just by definition, that's going to be a little slower. And when you have a very focused use case and all the technology components are there to support it in an environment where people already understand how to leverage cloud, uh, maybe I'm just rationalizing why it shouldn't be surprising now, uh, but it kind of makes sense. So. Well, I was surprised. I, I thought it would be a much harder battle to do it, but it's proved to be yeah. much readily the marketplace. The enterprise must much ready to accept that. I had another question in which I'm asking you a single thing, but as you guys did a terrible job at that, <laughs> I'm going to skip it, okay? Or maybe it's a bit later. Uh, so <laughs> you told me, uh, so we have you, like Linux, open source uh, leaders, we have silicon, we have silicon again, and we have a mobile operator. I'm not going to mention who's missing here. Uh, we're talking about things moving faster in the private world with enterprise. <coughs> we're talking about existing carrier networks that are not fully virtualized yet, and that's a heavy burden. It's difficult to transform. I like that what you said about the process uh, and people aspect of it. Uh, so that feels like a perfect setup for a complete re redesign of the value chain. And I like to get your perspective on that. And maybe, um, Alex, if you want to start. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's definitely a transformation. A lot of things are coming together, uh, from compute power on the network to uh, speeds of their interface to more capabilities on on DRS to um, to uh, 
open source and uh, NFE and all these things that are happening on the cloud. So it's really a transformation that is all coming together. So um, I think uh, there was a, a study that was done um, by IHS, I believe, that was the 5G economy, and it was saying that it would add close to $13 trillion of global economic output in the next four years. So I'm sure there's plenty of value chain um, uh, enhancements for many industries and many players across that. But it's, like I said, it's really a transformation of all these things coming together. Maybe your perspective as a, as a mobile operator and a very advanced in the game, have you seen like the, the people you speak to for 5G, are they getting different from the people you were speaking to for 4G and how is that changing in terms of your suppliers? Should we? After we launch 5G services, our people uh, still, we are trying to expand more and uh, people to enjoy more, you know. 5G services, so actually, we, you know, P2C is that, we, uh, like I said, we think we are successful, but uh, from the P2B, P2B phone point, we're still, like, uh, uh, I understand, uh, uh, so we are talking with many industry leaders about uh, their plans for the 5G, but uh, we think, even in Korea, uh, we need some more time to mature the market, 5G market for industries because of, uh, you know, like, but vertical market has uh, thousands of different, you know, domains, so we need to uh, prepare a lot of things uh, uh, than uh, B2C market. So, uh, because of, you know, like digital transformation or fourth industry innovation, you know, AI, big data, cloud will be the main component for the uh, next generation, uh, you know, industry evolution. But uh, still, five, we, we believe 5G will be the, one of the major parts of that. But uh, according to their comment, uh, still they are looking at, uh, because I mean, uh, so far, LTE plus Wi-Fi is enough to their current situation. So uh, we are working together to break through. I mean, this status now. Uh, from uh, you talk about the supply side, right? We we are seeing uh, much more diversified. We still obviously sell a lot to the traditional, the, the big uh, telco. Uh, vendors, but we are seeing a new breed of suppliers coming into the interchange that became our customers. And, uh, and also because the fact that you just mentioned the verticals. The verticals have a different variety of requirements. And I will actually forward predict next year when you have this conference, the players you will have in a panel will look very quite different. You will likely, again, predicting you will have some ahead of a, a major enterprise. That come on. Maybe CIO of Johnson and Johnson talking about how 5G changes. I think it's uh, it's both about blessing and a challenge to us. Who in telco we've been so very siloed. This is you know what you do is uh, beat the Shannon's law to, to maximize the bits that you come out, the uh, the bits that you come out of a, a megahertz. But that game has changed now. That game changed because of what that Red Hat has done. That game changed because of what Intel and Qualcomm and all the ecosystem has done. 
that game is different. Now you're talking with a new breed of uh, uh, suppliers, people that are innovators. Before I came here last night, I was speaking at HAI Summit in, uh, in uh, Mountain View. The people said, I start out that normally when I go to a, a telco type of event, I recognize 50 of the percent of the people. I didn't recognize any of them <laughs> until one guy pop up and say hi to me. These are like a lot of AI and startups and vertical players come in. It's, it's exciting, but how do we embrace that in a very performance, uh, uh, Shannon Ford driven telco? It's a, it's a real test for us. That's why you're seeing announcement from AT&T really to their employee skill set. You saw the announcement from SingTel doing the same thing. It is both a technology and a business transformation, but the ecosystem is much larger. The supplier pool is much larger. Yeah, I, I would say historically we had very vertically integrated solutions. Um, and in the first wave of NSV, what we saw were vertically integrated cloud-based solutions. And so that means you have, from a uh, carrier point of view, a cloud per function in the network. And uh, so it's, it's really just a trivial shift from a vertically integrated appliance. Uh, and what, what's challenging there is if you're trying to get to this broad operational efficiency, you're hitting these boundaries. So you're not necessarily onboarding multiple functions onto a common platform. And uh, so in order to get there, it turns out somebody has to do that integration work. And I can tell you the service providers aren't actually skilled and capable of doing that as much as they'd like to be able to. So it's really changing. And then the, there is a clear push on the traditional equipment providers to disaggregate and change the economic dynamics. Uh, so, you know, where, where's your revenue coming from when it's when you're just pulling a piece, and not the whole stack? Uh, so that that changes the the model, um, which creates this opportunity for the, the a different form of, yeah. of suppliers, software focused suppliers. Uh, but also, it creates this opening for well, who's doing the integration? Uh, and so there's there's a, most of the of the large scale equipment providers have some integration capabilities, but there's also other. SIs and GSIs that are doing this work, and then some that are uh, some large carriers that are trying to do this internally. So it, it really is changing the whole dynamics, and I think that create a horizontal platform, onboard, integrate, and then kind of iterate is such a different model for the industry that it, it is it's disruptive and it creates opportunities at every layer of the stack. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I'm conscious of time, and I know that we are like between uh, between the, the, the coffee break, so I have one last questions and maybe Pierre you want to add something as well um, and, and, and mainly um, I do, um, the, when we looked at the, 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 the launch in South Korea you presented some numbers uh, around RQ uplift um, around data consumption um, and, and, and they were all quite phenomenal um, and we of course also know that there have been quite significant promotions um, there is uh, subsidies and devices that also help the, the, the adoption of these new services and devices. But how, how do you see that going forward? Is this something which you think like is sustainable? Do you think like there's really a potential for an RPU up uplift? Is there behavioral change? Or, you know, are people are really you know, using new form factors, new services, and are now maybe also willing to pay 
pressure on prices going down, but like an opportunity here? If I say from the uh, company perspective, the, uh, after almost eight years after we launched LTE, we encountered that the, uh, the growth was, you know, from the output aspect, the output was, I mean, not grow anywhere uh, anymore, and uh, it's going down. So we had no choice but to move to 5G, actually. And uh, during the last six months, uh, because of, you know, tough uh, combat with our computers, frankly speaking, we are bleeding now, actually. But uh, after that competition, we saw the ARPU is uh, turning up, uh, so, and uh, our 5G subscribers are growing now. And uh, I think the future is bright, but uh, still we have a lot of problems uh, that should be solved to uh, make it sustainable, I think. And uh, when we look back, when we just started LT, there are a couple more, you know, uh, how can I say, uh, uh, new phenomena like you know new devices like smartphones was comes out from Apple and other Android I mean manufacturers and uh, uh, new you know uh, mobile media like YouTube kind of things were coming up together so I think those I mean LTE and other new way of media and devices uh, make made uh, that kind of uh, explode, I think. So, uh, so far, we couldn't find a new, the, the kind of other, uh, you know, phenomena yet, but uh, I think, I believe uh, in a couple of years, new way of devices or new way of media will comes up, come up, and uh, that will explode uh, new uh, user experience, uh, uh, they, they will uh, create new experience of user experiences and that will be a, a kind of, you know, a trigger of uh, 5G, uh, uh, 5G on my industries, I think. Thank you. So we could stop here, but I want, I want to be one last game. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to ask you like a, uh, a blitz question. So you can answer only with one word. Uh, it's either above or below or in line, okay? And the question is, if you look at 5G overall, all dimensions, do you think 5G, 5G progresses and develops into 2020 above expectations, below expectations, or in line with expectations? For me, above. 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 <laughs> That's a good mark. <laughs>